The Lord says, for those who do not recognize him, I will confront you with your vile disgrace. Mark this, you who forget all that God gave you, or I will tear you up and none will save you. Today we see this very vividly put before us in our reading for today. The reading for today is taken from 1 Samuel 3. 1 Samuel 3, verse 10. Uh, 1 Samuel 3, and then the text we'll be focusing on is 1 Samuel 3, verse 10. We read there, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow dim, so dim that he could not see, And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. 
Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So far the word of God. The passage which we'll be focusing on here is verse 10. Now the Lord came and stood and called as that other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, for your servant hears. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how often have you had it that you wished that the Lord would just speak to you? And you prayed and you wished the Lord just used words to speak into your life, reveal his truth to you and direct you, that he would give you an answer right there in the moment with words that you could hear. Not too long ago, there was a fake news article that was published which voiced these exact same sentiments. And the person that was in that article, it said, at publishing time, as a conclusion to that article, at publishing time, sources had confirmed that a frustrated Harrison eventually gave up on trying to hear God's word and resigned himself to just reading the Bible instead. In reflecting on our own thoughts with regards to that and reflecting on the conclusion of this article, we smile at the silliness of this kind of a situation, especially when it's put into those kinds of words. We can perhaps see a little, bit of it, a little bit of ourselves in that. We can see what is sometimes our own desire when we try to look for God's voice outside of his revealed word to make decisions. Wouldn't it be easier if God just came down and told me which college to go to? Wouldn't it be easier if God told me what I could do to improve my relationship with my husband, my wife, or my children? Wouldn't it be easier? But God doesn't work that way. Not today. There's no prophet that we can go to who says, thus says the Lord. And any inner voice we may hear must always be held up to the rule of Scripture. Now that statement in itself may be up for debate in some Christian circles, but we won't get into that today. Suffice it to say for now that God doesn't speak authoritatively to his people apart from his revealed word in Scripture. Any authority in any other sphere is based off of the authority of his word, including the authority in the words that are spoken from this pulpit here today and in pulpits across North America. It's derived authority based off of the Word of God. Now, it wasn't always that way. There was a time when God did speak directly to His people. And today's text shows us an example of that. Today, however, we don't receive new revelation outside of Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't occasionally seem to use means to bring someone under the word. 
You might hear of it in third world countries, in Islamic countries, of men who tell, men and women who tell stories of having seen a dream or a vision which directed them to speak to a local pastor, directed them to seek more of God's word. And in these cases, we can see that it's always with the end goal to bring them under the authority of the word. But we don't receive new revelation outside of Scripture. That doesn't mean, however, that we don't have anything to learn when we come to passages like this. For God has spoken, and now we have His Word here before us today. So how are we to respond to this? With the statement, Speak for your servant hears. We see God's servant, first of all, looking for God to speak. And we see him, secondly, ready to obey as God speaks. When we read this passage, it's easy to quickly move right past the significance of the very first word, words that we find in Samuel's response in our text. Speak, Samuel says. Speak for your servant hears. Speak, Lord. Samuel's very name means God hears, but it can be a frightening thing when we find the reality of this truth taking place in our lives. For Samuel, this was no less startling. To understand why this would have been especially startling to Samuel as one of the members of the people of God, you need to understand the situation that they found themselves in. God's people had been living in a land which had not heard the voice of God for a very long time. We read the word of God was rare in those days and there was no widespread revelation. What could be the reason for this? Why does God not interact with mankind? We know that there were some who were calling on God. In fact, the priesthood, as corrupt as they were, were still up and running and sacrifices were being offered. So why did God not speak to his people? Why did God not answer? This is a question that Christians today can sometimes ask. Why does God not answer? Let's take a moment to see what the Bible says about this. To begin with, we can look at the book of James. In James 4, verse 3, we read about those who simply don't ask God for anything. They've stopped asking Him for one reason or another, and because of that, they are simply not open to hearing anything from God at all. In the context of asking for wisdom from God, James 1, verse 5 to 8, James tells us of the appropriate mindset with which we should approach God. Why does man not hear from God? When you're asking for wisdom, James says, you need to ask in faith and without doubting. James 1, verse 7 specifically highlights doubting as a factor. Again, moving back ahead to James 4, verse 3, we read about how God doesn't interact with people because they ask wrongly. 
James 4 verse 3 talks about how they ask for their own pleasures. They're not working within the kingdom framework of God, but they're asking because they want health, they want wealth, they want something for their own benefit out of the deal. And he goes on to say in James 4 verse 7, that they are doing this rather than submitting to God. Their requests are in conflict with God's desire for them to submit to Him. This contrast of asking for the benefit of your own earthly kingdom in your own life outside of God's kingdom and sometimes against God's kingdom is highlighted even more strongly in the book of Psalms. We read in Psalm 66 verse 18, if I regard, or in ESV, ESV it says, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. You know this from experience. If you've been fighting with a spouse and you cherish that sin, try holding his or her hand and coming before the Lord in prayer at the end of the day in your devotions as a husband and wife together. If there's still a barrier of sin between the two of you, you'll feel it. Try coming before the Lord if you're knowingly cherishing your attraction to drugs, to pornography, or to alcohol abuse. Children, try coming before the Lord when you have been knowingly disobedient, disrespectful, or rebellious to your parents. Try coming before God when you're cherishing that sin instead of being sorry for it and hating it. You'll find you don't do particularly well when you're trying to speak with God. Until you, by God's grace, grow to hate your sin and flee from it rather than cherish it, beginning at that very moment when you're on your knees in prayer, there will be a barrier between you and God. And that's the position that the people of God found themselves in today, in our chapter. In our passage, people aren't hearing the word of God because they've abandoned searching for God a long time ago. And more than that, Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas made it worse by holding on to and loving their rebellious sin in the face of God. Just in the previous chapter, 1 Samuel 2, verse 29, we read, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? And it was because of what they did. It was because of what they did that we read later in that chapter that Israel grew to despise the sacrifices of the Lord. Again, in 1 Samuel 2, verse 12, we read, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. The leaders and the spiritual heads of the people did not know the Lord. They did not pursue the Lord. They did not want to learn about who He was. They didn't care about what He had to say. And it's a terrifyingly sad state when the people of God find themselves in this position where their spiritual leaders reject God in this way. But it often reminds ourselves, it reminds us of ourselves today too, doesn't it? 
Likewise, so often we too neglect to seek God. We read in Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But we act as if we were faithless. Yet we see the grace of God before us today. We're given comfort through how God, out of mere grace, still speaks. This is why it was so startling for the people of Israel. This is why it would have been so startling for Samuel as well. They hadn't heard the word of the Lord for a long time. But despite all of Israel's sin, he didn't completely give up on this nation. Instead, he found a young man, and he called him Samuel. Samuel didn't do anything, but God came to him through his word. Mankind doesn't first seek God, yet God speaks to him in his mercy and in his grace. And hasn't it always been that way since the beginning? Already in the Garden of Eden after their sin, man trembling fled from God. Again and again throughout the course of history, the history of the people of God, we see how man fled. And yet God came after man. God came after his bride, calling them by name. And we see this most vividly in the coming of Christ. The world did not recognize him. The world did not know him. And yet, he was the word incarnate who came into the world to make the Father known to us and to bring us redemption. And he says in John 10 verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. He calls your name right here and right now. We don't have the person of Christ today in the flesh here before us. We don't have God speaking to us in the same way that he spoke to Samuel. But we still have him calling his sheep by name. Through his word, this Bible here before you, history didn't need to unfold in such a way that you got this book, but God made sure that it did. And God calls to you through it. Beloved, seek God through his word. Seek him through his revealed will. Write his word on the tablet of your heart. Inscribe it on your souls through reading, meditating on it, and memorizing it. Love the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your mind. And let this come out in your pursuit of him as he calls to you. This brings us to our second point. We see God's servant ready to obey as God speaks. So having heard God speak, we see Samuel immediately jump up and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What could cause such devotion in a boy? We've already noted how he was raised up in an atmosphere where the high priest Eli did not obey. Eli valued his sons more highly than he valued the esteem of the Lord. And we also read about the sinfulness of his sons. And in chapter 2, you can read how they did cause the nation to despise God because of their sacrifices. 
Even here today where he receives the judgment of the Lord, where he receives the rebuke of the Lord. Throughout history, we've seen how God had come in anger to judge his people for their sin. And there were times when it seemed like it would be impossible to turn it aside. And yet when they came to him in repentance, God refrained. Think back to how Moses led the people of God through the desert. Again and again, God came and said, I want to put an end to this people. I want to put an end to this people. And I'll start again with you, Moses. And yet God said, after Moses had spoken to God and pleaded for his mercy, God said they would continue to be his people. Eli knew of this. And yet what's his response? He hears the condemnation of the Lord. He hears the rebuke of the Lord and the declaration of a sentence. He doesn't come before the Lord in prayer. He doesn't come before the Lord begging for mercy. He just sighs, shrugs his shoulders and says, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. This is the atmosphere that Samuel was raised in. So what could cause him to be raised to be such a devoted and respectful boy if these were his examples? The man, Eli, coming before the Lord and just shrugging his shoulders and saying, it's the Lord, let him do what's good to him. And Hophni and Phinehas, who outright despised the sacrifices. Well, take a look at verses 2 and 3 for a moment. 1 Samuel 3, verses 2 and 3. We read here that the eyes of Eli were growing dim so he can barely see. He was slowly going blind. Whether he realized it or not, his outward blindness was a picture of his inward sinful blindness. His gradual hardening of his heart as he did not confront his sons as he did not defend the holiness of the Lord, as he himself became lax. At the same time, we see that the night was dark around him. Samuel lay down to sleep, and the night is in deep darkness around him. It's not like today. There were no street lights outside, nightlife lighting up the town of Shiloh. You didn't have any of that. The fires are out, Everything is quiet in the town of Shiloh. The nation sits in darkness. It's the darkest hour before the lamp would have been put out to mark the arrival of a new dawn. And so we see Samuel sleeping in the tabernacle at a time when the lamp of God is still burning in the darkness. Everywhere else in the land, it's plunged into darkness. And yet, in this small town of Shiloh, in the tabernacle, there's a flickering light. Don't underestimate the power of that picture. Eli's eyes are dim. The nation is in darkness. 
And Samuel, the boy who was miraculously born to a barren woman, is lying peacefully before the Lord as the Lord's light burns in the darkness. And then we hear the word of God enter into his life. Samuel. When God speaks, we cannot but act. When God calls, how can we do anything but move? But what happens when a person is so blinded by the world and the examples around them that they don't even realize that it's the word of the Lord? Can the Lord still get through? Samuel's been raised in a setting where the word of the Lord is rare. He doesn't know that it's the Lord who is speaking to him. But regardless of what he feels, Samuel faithfully springs up and rushes to Eli saying, Here I am. Any other child might have faked sleeping or been irritated at the fact that he was being called out of bed. Parents, I know most of you have tried to wake up your children for school or for other tasks. You know that if your boy or your girl doesn't want to get up, they'll find all kinds of excuses. But the young boy Samuel springs up. Three times he springs up and he runs to Eli. And on the third time, Eli realizes what's happening. He sends Samuel back and he gets him to lie down again. And on the fourth time, he tells him to say, speak for your servant hears. Samuel goes back, he lies down again. The Lord calls and he answers. No excuses, no explanations, just simple submission. He's kind of like our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? Christ, too, was called on by God to carry out a task. But where Samuel's task was to bring the word of the Lord to Eli, Christ was the better servant. Our Savior's task was to live and to work among us as the word incarnate to bring us redemption. We see in John 1 a close parallel with a picture of light and God's world. The land, the whole world is covered in deep darkness. But instead of just being God's servant in the presence of a flickering earthly light, Christ is the divine light that shines in the darkness, which the darkness could not overcome. Christ is not just waiting for God's word, but he is the word of flesh who speaks to the world with authority. We read in Philippians 2, the verses 7 to 8, how in order to come into this world, Christ made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. As the Word made flesh, he lived the perfect life. And as God's promised Messiah, the light of the world, he suffered and he died for us. Beloved, the Lord is our faithful servant. And when his father spoke, even though he asked in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there is any other way, take this cup from me, he followed it up by, yet not my will, but your will be done. Christ was the perfectly obedient servant. And it's in the Savior's obedience that we are able to find our own obedience. 
You see, we fall short every day. When we look at Israel falling away time and time again, when we look at the house of Eli standing against God, we see a small picture of our own lives. But Christ is the faithful servant where we fail. He perfects our prayers and he perfects our obedience. Through him, our disobedience doesn't become a heavy yoke. Our disobedience doesn't pour down guilt upon us and weigh us down, dragging us to the depths, but our disobedience is taken upon his shoulders. The perfect servant. And his righteousness is placed on us. Through Christ, our yoke becomes easy and our burden light. We spring up with feet and hearts light because our past failures aren't dragging us down. They're not counted against us, but every day becomes a new day. And so because of Christ, we can confess as we sang, Whoever loves God's law with all his heart and will not from the way of truth depart is like a tree which planted by a river stays lush and green with leaves that will not wither and which it sees in season yields abundant fruit so he will thrive whatever his pursuit. The Lord spoke and Christ was the obedient servant on our behalf. And now because of him and because of the fact that we are washed clean, those who believe in Jesus Christ are washed clean, we are able to spring up as faithful followers, to serve him as joyful followers. And then the boundaries of the law become something in which we can thrive, in which we can serve to the glory of God. But how is this possible? especially in my present circumstances. How is that possible? Canons of Door, chapter 3, 4, article 12, put it, puts it beautifully. It says there that in Christ, the will so renewed is not only acted upon and moved by God, but acted upon by God, the will itself also acts. Acted upon by God, the will itself also acts. And we see this truth in the prompt obedience of Samuel. How is it possible that a boy raised in such a terrible situation with such unholy and wicked examples all around him could possibly reply to the Lord as promptly and obediently as he did? It was because the Lord acted upon him. The Lord put a new obedience in his heart. He was surrounded by the evidences of the Lord's grace every day in the sacrifices as perverted as they might have been by Hophni and Phinehas. And the Lord worked in him through them. The Lord worked a new obedience in him. The Lord works in us through everything we encounter today as well. But he works most powerfully through the Bible, the book that you held earlier perhaps are holding now, and the book that you're hearing proclaimed from here today. And he gives us the strength. He works in our hearts. He renews our wills. And then he calls us to obedience. What he demands, he also supplies. 
How can I find that assurance? How can I know that obedience and that joy? Pray that the Lord would open your eyes to the grace that is given you in Christ. The grace in which you already live for the sake of Christ. Search the Bible earnestly and eagerly. For as it said in Hebrews, God rewards those who seek Him. And live out the truth that you find here. Submit your life to the authority of the Word. Act in service to your God and take up your cross joyfully, crying out to the Lord in prayer, speak for your servant hears, knowing that because Christ was the obedient servant, so we too can respond in obedience. And as Christ's perfect work was accepted before God to bring us to salvation, so he too perfects our work and for the sake of Christ brings us to salvation. Amen.